Raiders, start your engines! Welcome to the one place everybody wants to be. Victory Lane, your source for news, analysis, discussion, interviews, and more from the world of NASCAR. Here's your host, Davey Siegel. Welcome back, party people, to the place everybody wants to be. You know it, you love it. It, of course, is Victory Lane. I'm real excited about this one. We got a legend of the game on with us this week, Alan Frickin' Bestwick. I told him myself, it's like the soundtrack of my childhood from NBC, TBS, ESPN, ABC, so much more. And now he's the voice of another three-letter racing corporation, SRX. First race was this past weekend. He was in the booth with Danica Patrick, got his thoughts on that and everything in between. A bit of a shorter interview, but I think you guys will enjoy what we talked about in there. Plus, Kyle Larson does Kyle Larson things, of course, wins another cash money million. All-star race was somewhat interesting, but somewhat confusing as well might get a special guest to talk about that but before we do all that strap in because this is a long one against my own will but i'm gonna let him do it because it's father's day coming up an extended cut you've heard of the snyder cut for like movies and stuff nowadays here's the extended cut of the Wayback segment this week with papa siegel talking about his favorite driver of all time get ready to learn Thank you, Duve, and welcome everyone to episode 112. I've been looking forward to this week's segment, where we'll be looking back on the career of my favorite NASCAR driver of all time. I'm going long on this one, Duve, so chill and enjoy. If you've been paying attention, you've heard me talk about Dale Jarrett as one of my favorite drivers. You've also heard me talk about Davey Allison who Mama Siegel and I did not name our host after. But who was my favorite before either of them? If you peel the onion back to its core, the first NASCAR driver I rooted for and who provided a link to all the others was and is the leader of the famed Alabama gang, the great Bobby Allison. Why Bobby Allison is my favorite driver, you ask? The honest answer is geography. While most people assume Allison hailed from Alabama, the truth is that he was born and raised in my hometown of Miami. As the story goes, when Bobby and his brother Donnie found the prize money in South Florida lacking, they took a trip north and were able to earn more finishing midfield at races in and around Birmingham than they could by winning races in Florida. So they came back home to Miami, talked friend Red Farmer into moving north with them, and they eventually settled in Hueytown. When the Allison brothers and their crew started showing up at local races and winning, their competitors started saying, here comes that Alabama gang again, and the nickname stuck. Over a Hall of Fame career that spanned 25 years and 718 races, Allison drove cars with 17 different numbers, including 170 races in the 12. 
He's officially credited with winning 84 races, placing him tied for fourth on the all-time list, along with the chief nemesis, Daryl Waltrip. But more about that in a sec. Only King Richard, David Pearson, and Jeff Gordon won more races. 25 of those wins for Allison came in the 12. Even if it was before your time, you'll likely remember from Darlington Throwback Weekends Allison's iconic red and gold Coca-Cola car and his pit crew wearing those crazy Coca-Cola checkered pants. Allison won the cup title in 1983 and finished second in the points five other times. He finished in the top 10 a remarkable 17 years. Though Allison is officially credited with 84 wins, it's widely accepted that he won 85 and possibly 86. How come? The clearest example involved the 1973 National 500 in Charlotte, where Allison finished third behind Cale Yarborough and Richard Petty. Allison protested that Richard's and Cale's engines were oversized. NASCAR inspected all three engines at the track, and it was widely reported that Allison's engine was within spec, while Yarborough's and Petty's engines failed. However, these were the times of iron rule by the France family, who directed that the press be told that the post-race test results were being sent to NASCAR headquarters for a final decision. That final decision issued the next day was that the race results would stand. Allison threatened to quit and sue. A week later, he was called into a meeting with Bill France. The result of that meeting was that Allison dropped his threats and would say only that he had received satisfactory restitution. Though Allison's never completely confirmed it, it's widely assumed that France bought Allison off by providing him winner's purse money in exchange for Bobby keeping his mouth shut. Like I keep telling you, they were different times. Allison's also largely credited for putting NASCAR racing on the American sports map. If you're a fan, you remember the end of the 1979 Daytona 500, where Cale Yarborough and Donnie Allison wrecked each other on the last lap, resulting in Richard Petty winning the race. The infield fight that ensued wasn't instigated by Cale or Donnie, who actually were having a civil conversation about the wreck when Bobby drove up and started the fight. To this day, Bobby still quips that Cale slammed his nose into Bobby's fist several times. The fight, and Ken Squire's inspired call of it, catapulted NASCAR into the mainstream of American sports. In June 1988, Bobby Allison crashed at Pocono on lap one. The wreck was bad, but Allison would have walked away from it had he not been T-boned in the driver's side by Giacomo Giacomo. It almost cost Allison his life. In fact, when he reached the local hospital, he initially was, cleared, was declared dead, but subsequently was revived. His recovery began from almost a vegetative state and was remarkable given his injuries, but it cost Allison the rest of his racing career. It even robbed him of the memories 
of a 1-2 finish with his son Davey at the Daytona 500 earlier that year. Majacomo also retired from the sport following the crash, not from injuries, but out of post-traumatic stress and guilt for having hit Allison. Pocono, unfortunately, wasn't the only tragedy Allison and his family would endure. In 1992, his son Clifford was killed in a practice crash in Michigan, and if all that wasn't enough, Davey was killed in a helicopter crash at Talladega in 1993. In addition to his cup championship, Bobby Allison won the Daytona 500 three times, the Southern 500 four times, the World 600 twice, and the Winston 500 three times, putting him in a select group of drivers to have won the NASCAR Career Grand Slam. He won the IROC Championship in 1980, he drove in the Indy 500, and he was voted the Cup Series Most Popular Driver seven times. Bobby Allison was named one of NASCAR's greatest drivers in 1988 and was inducted into the NASCAR Hall of Fame in 2011. I met Bobby Allison once at a Dover race where he was greeting fans in front of the grandstand named for him. It was an honor and privilege to shake his hand and thank him for his years of excellence entertainment and express my condolences for the sacrifices he and his family had endured. Thanks for indulging me this week, Duve, and happy Father's Day from this proud papa to all you other dads out there. Back to you. All right, I'm back from that wonderful adventure. Thank you, Dad. Happy Father's Day to you as you're listening to this, hopefully, and all the fathers out there. Hope you guys enjoy your days. Let's start off this episode, as we always do, with a good, old-fashioned... Kyle Larson wins his second straight all-star race, third race of the season overall in a row. The guy is just unbelievable right now. Otherworldly performances from Kyle Larson. I don't care if he's on asphalt, dirt, gravel, mud, outer space. He'd probably win a spaceship race at this rate. Beat everybody in Star Trek and Star Wars. Let's talk about the race itself, okay? Six segments, inverts, random draws, whole lot of other mumbo jumbo you guys know you watch the race probably if you're listening but at the end of the day the best driver the best team the best organization won so I guess I can't be too upset we can't be too upset it was a hell of a move at the end of the race too on Brad Keselowski in that final 10 lap segment Cliff Daniels is basically saying I didn't think there was a lane up there and when he went up there I was preparing for the car to wreck somehow Kyle Larson did Kyle Larson things Made it stick, got back by Keselowski and wins his second straight all-star race. Because if you guys remember, he wasn't in it last year for obvious reasons. But going back to 2019 at Charlotte with Chip Ganassi Racing, he won the million dollars that year. So two in a row, cash money for young money. It was fun, I thought. You know, it was that first segment there, I thought, you know, I kind of fell back to third, maybe second or third. And I was like, man, it's Texas. It's going to be hard to pass, but was able to get to the lead again, win that segment. And then I was like, okay, I think I got a good car. I could be able to drive up. And that was not the case. I was really tight in traffic. 
And uh, we had to take a really big swing at it. The, the third round, I actually went backwards in the second one. So we took a huge swing at it. Um, and I'm not really sure what happened that segment. Um, but anyways, after that one, we, we kept making huge swings. And then I noticed that uh, the guys who had finished up in front and, and started in the back of the invert didn't move forward. So I was like, well, you know, we're, we're probably not bad in points here. And then for that fourth one, um, I knew as long as I finished second, I was going to be second points lineup for the, for the fifth round there. And, uh, that worked out good. We were able to have, you know, get out and get running and stretched out and, um, end up lining us up for third going to that, that final stage. And I definitely want to be third because I wanted to be able to choose the outside. I feel like you, you have more options, um, when you go there. So in it, that restart just worked out perfect where, Chase kind of got choked up and I was able to get to his back bumper and push him past the 12 to uh, get him a little bit clear. And he kind of, you know, shaded left, you know, a little bit, a little bit much. And um, I poked to the outside and, and had about almost all fours, but we're both right sides above where we'd been running. And uh, I kind of eyeballed it under yellow. And I was like, you know what, we just, we have a 10 lap run and, you know, there's no points online. Um, I'm going to go for it if I get the chance. And if I wreck, I wreck, but I think there'll be enough grip and uh, worked out there was. So uh, yeah, that was just really cool. That was a pretty ballsy move, if I do say so myself. So obviously you have to ask the question, right? What are you going to do with the money? So I asked him that. And one other question as well, because he joined a very exclusive list of multiple time all-star race winners. Hey, Kyle, you're one of eight people now to win multiple all-star races, and everybody on the list is a former champion or a Hall of Famer. Curious if you've had any, well, you haven't really had time, but what does that mean to you to have an accomplishment like that and be associated with legends of the sport like that? Yeah, you're right. I mean, I hadn't thought of it, but uh, yeah, I mean, <clears throat> it's cool, but but races are hard to win and championships are even harder to win. So um we just got to keep working really hard. You know, this is definitely the best opportunity I've ever had to you know, win a championship. Um, but there's still a long season left and, and other cars and teams are going to get better. And, and so will we. So just got to keep working hard and, and hopefully we can have ourselves in position come October, and November. I don't know if you've spent the uh, million dollars you won a couple of years ago, but do you have any idea how you're going to spend this million? <laughs> I'm, I'm going to save for sure. Smart man. Thank you. Congratulations. Thanks. I stand by what I said in the week leading up to the all-star race, though. It's just not the same anymore. And I don't know why. And I encourage you guys to do what I asked you to do last week. Tweet me, beat me, you know how to reach me, leave a rating and a review and tell me why you think the all-star race has lost its luster. Or if you disagree and you think that the all-star race still has plenty to give, and I'm just over-dramatizing things, if that's a word. Let me know that, too. I just don't feel the same way that I felt about the all-star race, I don't know, 10, 12 years ago, when I can remember the races, and they were memorable events. Now it just kind of seems blech. And actually, as we're doing this live, uh, I'm currently walking out of the room where I'm recording. I'm opening the door. I'm going to interrupt Robin's work day. Here she is smiling. Hello, Robin. How are you? Hello. Good. How are you? Racing with Robin is back in a limited capacity. Episode 67 was racing with Robin, I think. That was uh, 
at the height of the pandemic, and now we're at 112. So welcome back. Thank you. Glad to be here. Yes, you are. The people will be glad to hear your voice because even though you didn't like it, they said it was soothing. You know, I'll take what I can get. All right. I want your thoughts on the All-Star race. You watched with me. You were struggling to understand the format, and I tweeted some of your thoughts during the race, which you were happy about. Uh, I think the quote was, wait, so what's the point? You don't want to finish up front because then you'll get sent to the back. This doesn't make any sense or something like that. What, what did you think of the whole thing? I thought it was kind of hard to follow. I mean, on the one hand, as a more casual racing fan, it was kind of a nice break from 400, 500, 600 laps of the same thing. But from a logic standpoint, I just didn't really see how it made sense, how it necessarily rewarded the best driver. Although Kyle Larson won, and I would argue he is the best driver right now. So maybe there's something about the format that I'm not quite getting because it did work out in that regard. So you know local short track racing because I've covered some of that stuff every now and then. So what they were doing with the inverts, that's what people do all across the country, and they have for decades and decades. NASCAR hasn't really done it because they, at least not recently, I guess you could say it, but they kind of consider themselves the upper echelon, the purity aspect of the sport. So when drivers finish a heat race or something like that first, then they would start the second one last. SRX, the event that Alan Bestwick was doing broadcasting for this past weekend, they did the same thing. So would you be a fan of inverts for other races or maybe shortening things up and doing different heat races? Or do you think that should be reserved for just one-off exhibition type stuff for the Cup Series? I definitely could see, um, you know, see that being beneficial in some regard. Um, I would probably personally want to understand, you know, what to expect a little bit more ahead of the races. I think that's really probably mostly what it was for me as I was caught off guard, didn't know what to make of it, and it made it hard to follow because each stage something different was happening. Um, but I think if I changed my mindset a little bit, I could definitely see that being um, you know, very entertaining to watch. Your boy Marty didn't do too hot either. Nope, not at all. <laughs> also, uh, I don't think I've mentioned it on this podcast, but Robin calls Martin Truex Jr. Marty. And on the front stretch pod, I asked him that, and he said politely for you to stop calling him Marty, but you're not going to do that. No, definitely not. Why not? I don't know. I kind of like it. There you have it. The wonderful Robin Marks on the pod this week. Thank you. Enjoy the rest of your work day. I'll try. Thank you to Robin. There goes my door. I'm back in my room now. Uh, I'm not editing any of this out because this is live, unfiltered content. So there you go. Kyle Young Money Larson wins again, a million dollars richer, but if he needs any more money, right? And he started on the poll too, via a random draw. So I was like, come on, as if he needs any more help. So the Xfinity race happened the day before. Kyle Busch wins that one. It's his 99th career Xfinity series win. He's one away from triple digits. Everything is great. The sky is blue. The sun is shining. Kyle Busch just won a race. So you'd think that he'd probably be in a good mood, right? He's happy. He just won. That's when Kyle Busch is at his happiest. I got to ask him a question, the first one in his post-race media availability. And let's just say he wasn't happy. Hey, Kyle, congrats on the win. I just saw on social media there was a picture of you spitting out some rowdy energy, kind of like Kyle Larson did at Sonoma, wondering if that uh, inspired your celebration at all. No, no other driver inspires my celebration. I did it years ago. Look it up. Thank you. 
Well, it took me, uh, I guess, 25 years of living, almost 25, and however many years of covering the sport to get an official asshole response from Kyle Busch, but I did it. I feel like that's a rite of passage. Uh, I got nothing against Kyle. I actually like him. I like that he's blunt. And whatever Kyle wants to do, he can do. If he was mad at me, that's okay. I had not seen him spit out water before, but you know what? I guess I'll try to do some more research and look it up, as he says. That's win number 99 for him. And let's go to the man that he employs on the Truck Series side. John Hunter Nemechek, for the fourth time this season for him, he wins in the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series. Anytime a cup guy comes down to run, you obviously want to beat that guy. Um, he was fast there in the second stage. Um, we played a, a really good strategy part too. Um, and uh, Eric Phillips called a, a really good race. Uh, I felt like we had a really fast Romco Toyota Tundra. Um, it, it's pretty cool to get uh, Toyota Tundra in victory lane. Uh, all Toyota Tundras are built right here in the state of Texas. So um, pretty neat for that. Uh, Romco equipment first win as well. Um, just uh, uh, awesome day. Um, I felt like we had something for chase there in, in the second stage or third stage, um, just dirty air, uh, had to wait and then, um, track position rolled out, uh, really good, um, on our green flag stop. Uh, I feel like we aced it and then kind of just drove away from there. So, uh, super proud of all my guys, everyone at KBM, everyone that makes this possible. Um, I'm just blessed to be able to be the wheel holder, um, behind the wheel of these fast Toyota Tundras every week. Before we throw it over to our highly awaited interview with Alan Bestwick, I got a special announcement for you guys. We got a sponsored read on the podcast this week. No, your ears do not deceive you. We have a sponsor on the pod. And guess what? I'm going to tell you all about it. Rhino Classifies at rhino.co. No, it's not a hippopotamus. And it's no, it's not a rhinoceros. It's Rhino, R-Y-N-O. Check them out, ryno.co. You can sign up with a free user account at that web address and get a free entry to win a 1,000cc UTV and trailer. It's pretty intense. Rhino Classifieds is built by racers for racers, and they're giving you a chance to win that badass 1,000cc UTV and trailer for some off-road fun or midway moving. Your choice. You can sign up for a free account at rhino.co. You'll get a free entry to win that. Rhino Classifieds is the official classifieds of speed51.tv. Rhino is built by racers for racers. Again, I just wanted to give them a shout out because they came on the scene recently with a bang. They had a giveaway with Vaughn Gittin Jr.'s drift truck. Did you guys see that? If you didn't, go check that out. And Rhino was created by the founder of Racing Junk because he wanted to create a more streamlined buying and selling application that allowed users to just see what they wanted to see rather than all those ads that get in the way and all the random crap that no one wants. So do me a favor, head on over to rhino.co, sign up for a free account and find the car part, race car, classic car, modified street machine, whatever you're looking for, they probably have it. Or if you want to post yours, you're free to do so as well. Ryno.co classified for racers built by racers and if you're tired of all those ads all the random crap that shows up when you're looking to buy or sell your car parts rhino classifies was created just for you so welcome to a streamlined buying and selling app created by racers for racers and race fans modified classic cars race cars the special big block that you need the trailer to move your baby all across the country 
we got you covered at Rhino Classifieds. Go to rhino.co now and sign up for a free account, post for free, and get a free chance to win a badass UTV. Let's throw it over to our chat with SRX's Alan Bestwick, legendary broadcaster. As I mentioned off the top, it was a bit of a shorter interview. I like to kind of go deep and dive into the minutia with my guests, but I was allotted about a half an hour of time with Alan. For some reason, he wasn't able to join my Zoom right away because of my problem. So it's totally my bad. I don't know why, but he needed a passcode when nobody's needed a passcode before. So I guess that's my bad. But we talked for about a half hour about SRX, his career, uh, some tips from one of the best to ever do it in the biz. I hope you guys enjoy this conversation as much as I did, and I hope to have him on again soon. And you can watch him all summer long for the next five weeks every Saturday night on CBS because SRX is going across the Midwest, across the country, and putting on great shows for the race fans out there. A made-for-TV event, and it was really good the first week, and Alan made it so, so much better. Here is my conversation with legendary broadcaster Alan Bestwick. A big, big pleasure this week to welcome on. Honestly, I call him the soundtrack of my youth and my childhood, not to age you, Alan. Alan Bestwick, <laughs> the voice of SRX, legendary NASCAR, IndyCar, play-by-play broadcaster. He has done a ton of different sports over a lot of years. And Alan, serious, I don't say this to everybody, but I'm, I am thrilled to have you on because I mean that. You are one of the soundtracks of my childhood. It's great to speak with you. Thanks for making the time. Well, I'd, I'd be lying if I didn't say that that legend stuff makes me kind of uncomfortable, but, um, but uh, it's been a good long run and I appreciate it. It's good to be here. Well, good. I won't call you a legend anymore. We'll get that good. out of the way. Uh, <laughs> I have you on here because we got to talk about right there what's over there. SRX first weekend has come and gone. Doug Kobe put a whooping on the superstars. I feel like in hindsight, we probably should have saw that coming, but it was a really fun event, a made for TV event, as everybody knows. From your perspective, I saw you were doing some some recon, rewatching the broadcast, trying to get better. How did you think it went? Oh, it was phenomenal for for a, for a first outing. If you think about everything that could have gone wrong, and you know this is kind of real, you know, behind the curtains stuff, but right, you got a brand new fleet of race cars that have been tested but have never been raced. You've got an entire television compound full of electronic gadgets and gizmos, some of which have never been used before on auto racing. Yep. Um, you, you've got probably, I don't know, $70, $80 million worth of stuff out there that, mm -hmm. uh, that you're trying to all make work together. If you think about all of the things that could have gone wrong and didn't, and the things that did go wrong that you don't know about because because that didn't we didn't allow to impact the 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 broadcast in that's right in a significant way uh it was a great night um general feedback is uh you know folks seem to have enjoyed it um it it went home well we've done a lot of work to fine-tune things from week one to week two and and i think that'll happen as the weeks go on a lot of these new bells and whistles you know we're not going to roll them out to you till they're ready um a lot of them will be ready for week two more mm -hmm. will be ready for week three and, and we'll just keep going from there but all things considered uh, a really solid opening night that played to good reviews and that allows us to just keep rehearsing and keep going from there you know when i was preparing for the interview i figured you know alan's a big time broadcaster he probably hasn't been to local short tracks in a long time 
But then I thought to myself, even if it hadn't been, you know, recently, this is what you grew up doing because you started at Seekonk at 16 years old in New England, local short track racing. So being back at Stafford, a place that you've been multiple times, I believe you've commentated races there multiple times, had to feel like riding a bike again and put taking off the training wheels and feeling like a kid again. You know, I, I was telling uh, members of the Root family that own Stafford Speedway and mm -hmm. have since since uh, the late 60s that to do that show, the SRX show, which is a project I've, I've been um, – I've known about for a couple of years and been waiting for it to come to fruition to do that show with those people at that speedway right on CBS on opening night was personally very special to me. It, it couldn't have been located at a better place. And, and as you saw, you know, this is no small circus coming to town. Oh, no. This is a, <laughs> this is a big deal. And yeah. the tracks that were selected were not only picked because of their variety, uh, and because they're iconic in American short track racing, but because we knew they would have the ability to host the show, mm -hmm. to, to let the big the big circus come to town and set up the big top and do everything that needed to be done. And uh, the Roots and Stafford are are you know they've they've for, forever forever they've been leaders in the presentation of short track auto racing, and so it couldn't have been a better spot for the first race to be. Well, let's let's talk about how this opportunity came about for you specifically. You said you've known about it for a couple years. The general public has known about it for maybe a year at this point. I'm not sure. So who contacted you first about the opportunity? Was it Tony? Was it Ray? Sandy? Somebody totally behind the scenes that we don't know? And I assume when you were contacted about it, you probably had to think for a second and said, why am I even thinking about this? It's a no-brainer. Yeah, I, I uh, Ray has been a good friend for many years. Um, mm -hmm. I've I've known Ray going back to the early to mid '80s uh, when he was a modified racer in New Jersey, and I was working at a at a, a radio operation in New Jersey. So, and our our career paths obviously have crossed um, many times over many years, including working working together at ESPN. Um, so it was uh, a little over two years ago that Ray grabbed me at a, at a function we were both at and, and said, look, I got, this, I got this idea I'm working on. And he kind of laid out the concept for me. And uh, he said, what do you think? And I said, that sounds like a blast. He said, well, you know, um, I'm going to keep in touch with you on it. And, and, um, and it's, it kind of went from there. So um, it, it, was, it was a while back when it was still in the, I'm working on this concept phase. But um, certainly knowing Ray like I do, um, the trust level was extremely high that it would be everything he said it would be. Right. And, and it has been. Now, Alan, I know that you've done a bunch of different sports in your days and you say time after time to aspiring broadcasters like myself, the one thing that you can do more than anybody is prepare. You can never over prepare. And mm -hmm. you do that to a T, whatever sport you're working on, whatever race, whatever series. But how does preparation for a series that has never run before with drivers from all walks of life, all different cars, all different backgrounds, with a new TV network, a new crew, a new track, how does your preparation for something like that differ from, let's say, a Daytona 500, an Indy 500, a U.S. Open tennis match, a college football game? Because they all have different aspects to them. Yeah, and, and you know, you, you, some parts are the same, some are different. Uh, the parts are the same are that you gotta, you gotta know the rules. You gotta know the players. Um, uh, 
you got to anticipate situations that might come up. Um, you know, you, you, you talk to people, you, you put, I mean, I probably spent, I don't, I won't even try to, uh, um, overestimate or underestimate a number of hours in the garage at Stafford yeah. over the weekend, talking to different people. Um, just be present. Now, you know, it's not like I don't know any of these drivers. Uh, some of them, <laughs> some of them have been friends for years. That's uh, right. Some of them, uh, I've, you know, I mean, I was, I was with Elio uh, at Indianapolis just a couple mm-hmm. of weeks before. I talked to he and and Tony and Paul Tracy, and um, you know, it's it's not like I haven't known Bill Elliott for a long time and know a lot of the stories personally. Yeah, it's already built in. Um, you know, other things. You know, you, you just you just have to you just have to put in the time. You know, what what are the race cars? Well, it's not like I don't know the guy to talk to about the race cars. Uh, <laughs> you know, the guy that designed them. Um, I went to a test that they did at Raceway Park when I was headed for uh, the Speedway in Indianapolis for for my work at the 500. They were testing at Raceway Park uh, up the street, Lucas Oil Raceway. I went there, spent the afternoon, talked to the guys that were testing, talked to Ken Schrader, the test driver. So you just you do the work. Um, this week will be different. There'll be a few new drivers in the field, but now, you know, now how do we update storylines? What do we do that's fresh and that's new? What do we have in the saddlebag that the the production crew developed this week that we didn't have available to us last week? So it's, it's just a never ending process and you have to stay hungry for that process. The process can't get old. You can't take anything for granted that you always have to do the work ahead of the show. Uh, no matter how many years you've been doing it. Well, it shows. So I have no doubt that you will continue to do the work along with all the men and women behind the scenes. It's going to be a great show this upcoming weekend. It was this past weekend. I mentioned earlier, 16 years old at Seekonk. That's kind of when you got your start in terms of racing broadcasting. But take me before then. How did you get involved in racing? Did you want to do any of it yourself? Did you do any of it yourself? And what led you down the path with the microphone? Yeah, so... um... For as long as I can remember, uh, I was fascinated by the guy on the radio or the guy on the television. For as long as I can remember. Um, it, it's, I don't know why, but I just was. And uh, I was one of those kids that, you know, dialed around the radio to listen to different things, um, tried to pull in the distant radio stations from New York City or mm-hmm. uh, Detroit or whatever. Uh, that was me as a kid. And... I was fortunate enough that my public high school um, had a teacher who was also involved in broadcasting, who, who shared that passion with his students and had a radio club at the school that we eventually turned into an FM radio station with a low power license and so on. Cool. And, and I got to broadcast um, at a young age. Uh, and get some experience doing it and get some understanding of, of what the business was about and how to go about it. So uh, it's just a lifelong thing. I don't know how to explain it other than it's all I've ever wanted to do. Um, when the opportunity to do it was quieted down because of the, you know, life, the pandemic, uh, everything else. Um, it was a great refresher for just how much I do enjoy and love it. And mm-hmm. um, um you know, I, I, I hope to be doing it for many more years. It's, it's, um, there's, no, there's no greater adrenaline to me than going on live television like we will Saturday night and we did last Saturday night and not knowing what's going to happen and trying to get it right. Yep. 
and you get at the end of those two hours or three hours and you get off the air and you try and figure out what you got right and what you didn't. And hopefully you got most all of it right. And I haven't figured out a way to replace that adrenaline in my life since age 16. So how do you go from starting at Seekonk at 16, getting that bug, catching the adrenaline rush? How do you go from that to joining Joe Moore and Barney Hall at MRN? How does that happen? Well, Secretly, I'd like to know. <laughs> it's, it's kind of a, a long and winding path, but um, from my first full-time job in radio at a, at a station in Eastern Connecticut, an AM and an FM radio station in Norwich, Connecticut, to a small radio syndicator that did some work uh, around auto racing, to working in a not-on-the-air job um, at a radio network in Washington, D.C., to stumbling across the people that run MRN, who used to be at Stafford Speedway in Connecticut, uh, when I was at the radio station in Norwich, Connecticut, mm -hmm. and a job coming open at MRN that they called me and asked me if I'd want to interview for. Uh, I did not start at MRN in an on-air role. Right. I started working behind the scenes. So it's, it's a long and winding path. Uh, there, there's no magic formula. Um, you just work hard. You see an opportunity. If it feels right to you, you take it. Sometimes it works out. Sometimes it doesn't. I've been lucky that, that more of them have worked out than not. As somebody that is currently working at a radio station in Washington, D.C. in a non-on-air role, that gives me a little bit of faith. So I appreciate yeah. that. Um, so you, we mentioned MRN. You did some great work there. I hear some of your calls on these highlights every now and then. And I think to myself, man, I wish I could have listened to Alan on MRN. That's pretty cool. And then you go to NBC slash Turner, join some bigger names there. Benny Parsons, Hall of Famer, Wally Dallenbach. You work with Bill Weber. Um, on a personal note, that's kind of where I remember my first years of watching the sport. I'm 24 right now, about to be 25. So that was kind of the sweet spot when I started remembering about the sport, listening to it, watching it. You did pit reporting and you did play-by-play -play there. Was that your first time working in a prominent on-air television role or did you have something before that? I, I started doing television shows 1995, uh, okay. while I was with MR and on the radio. So, um... You know, again, just part of the career path, right? You're, you're working on an MRN. You're doing these shows on the radio. There's TV opportunities that pop up. Uh, they need somebody. You happen to be there. I mean, how I landed at NBC, you know, when NBC got involved in, in NASCAR, they had one race per year. One. When they opened the Homestead track and, and took the Cup Series there, that was NBC's one race per year. And they needed somebody that could, you know, I mean, obviously, you're not going to make a living doing one race a year. <laughs> they needed somebody that could do that. And I could swing that away from MRN to do that one race a year. And before mm -hmm. we even finished the second year of that one race a year, the TV picture changed. Now NBC had an entire half season of NASCAR and I was already in the door. Right. So, you know, how do you, how do you plan that? How do you figure? Well, you don't. Sometimes you're just in the right place at the right time. So then we move on to ESPN, the worldwide leader, more big names there. Marty Reed. Nicole Briscoe now, uh, Rusty Wallace, Brad Doherty, Andy Petrie, just a who's who, Hall of Fame type talent in terms of in the garage and also on camera, on a microphone. You're there for eight years or so. You did a ton of big races, held a bunch of different roles in your time there. I'm curious to you, does any specific race in your time with the worldwide leader stand out among the rest? Oh, boy, there were so many. There um, were. <laughs> you know... What tends to stand out more to me, nobody does television alone. Television is a team sport. 
It's hard too. Um, you know, I, I, I like to laugh, but it is, but it's kind of true. It takes seven people to switch the coverage from thing A to thing B on television. Um, you know, producer, director, technical director, audio, a camera, announcer, you know, it takes seven people to do anything in television and all have to be coordinated in real time. The teams you're with, the people you're around, um, the friendships you make, and the adventures you have, mm -hmm. those tend to be the things I remember more than specific broadcasts or sp specific races. Um, you know, going, going, I mean, you know, a bunch of you winding up around a, um, a campfire pit in Elkhart Lake, Wisconsin on a Friday night before doing a race on a, on a Saturday uh, mm -hmm. in the middle of the summer. Um, you know, traveling to California and getting rained on. It never rains in Southern California. Well, yes, it does. When and, NASCAR comes to town, it and, does. And sitting there now with 48 dead hours, because the race you're there to cover isn't going to be till Monday now, and it's only Friday, and yep. the time spent with the team together, just laughing, talking, nothing fancy, but um, those are the things I remember more so than, you know, specific races. That makes sense to me. One specific race that you did that stands out to me was actually one that I did not watch live. It was Homestead 2014 when Kevin Harvick won the championship. This was before my media days. I was a big Kevin Harvick fanboy. And um, quick backstory, I was there. It was the first race that I saw him win in person. Obviously, he wins the championship as well. And I went back and I wanted to listen to your call of the lap, the final lap, because I wanted to see how you did that as an aspiring broadcaster as I was then. And one thing that I noticed was that you let the broadcast breathe. You said California's Kevin Harvick does it. He wins the race. He wins the championship. Silence. Everybody laid out, had a little bit of radio chatter. And also, as you mentioned, has to do with the people behind the scenes, the TD, the director, the producer, all these different people letting it lay out. And another thing that stood out to me was the Indy 500 this year. And I'm sure you've seen the broadcast that Lee Diffie, Townsend Bell, and Paul Tracy did, they laid out when Elio was celebrating as well, and that silence was so powerful. And it's amazing what can be said mm -hmm. without anything being said at all. So I'm curious when you figured out how powerful that silence was and if there's any specific instances that you can recall when that was really palpable for you. You know, it... it... It took a little time to adjust from radio to television mm -hmm. um, and to understand that you're not having to create the pictures anymore. The pictures are there. Mm -hmm. uh, that took a little time. In hindsight, I didn't think so at the time, but, but in hindsight it did. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's the wonderful thing about television, and it's the hardest thing, it's the hardest concept to introduce somebody to that's, that's wearing a headset is we have wonderful microphones, we have wonderful cameras. We have wonderful graphics. So you don't have to necessarily say anything. And the fewer words you say, the more impact those words have. And once you grasp that concept, it's, it's a powerful tool. It's powerful. Very. And, um, you know, I think, I think, um, you know, it, it can be very challenging for people because, you know, you're in a way you're being paid to talk, but, <laughs> uh, but knowing when to talk and when not to talk, that's, that's the hardest lesson for young broadcasters in television to learn, but the most important one.
And I think one that probably stands out to some people listening was July Daytona 2001. And I know you've talked about that race as one that stands out for obvious reasons among the rest. And again, you know, I was five years old, so I went back and I watched it. But that moment right there when Mikey and Junior are hugging each other on the front stretch and even if you tried to talk, you probably wouldn't be able to be heard because the crowd was deafening. I mean, that's one of those moments where looking back on it, you probably knowing you and, and seeing what you said on social media this week, you know, critique yourself and say, oh, I, I could have done this better. I could have done that better. But just overall, like that moment being there for that had to be something that probably still sticks with you today, especially having a relationship with some of those major players that were involved on that race in that day. Well, I would I would say this. Um The big moments often don't reveal themselves until later. And if there's any one call uh, that I get asked about more than any other, um, it's that and those moments, and which tells you the importance it had to so many people. Um, and, and that was the importance of getting it right. But, um, you know, you don't, you don't know how important those moments are at the time. You might have a sense of it, but you don't know. Uh, so you just, you know, you, you stay in the moment, you do your thing, you, you, you go with what you feel is right. And then you go back after and you study it and see if it played like you thought it did. Obviously, you know, there are things about that. I would go back today and change if I could. I'm sure there are. Yeah. But, um, judging by how much I get asked about it and how it all unfolded, I would say, um, you know, uh, it, it certainly resonated with people and, and for that, I'm thankful. It seemed to capture the moment. It sure did. It sure did. Let's go back to the moment. Kind of tie up some loose ends here. SRX for the next five weekends. I'm excited. A month plus of some more superstars racing and experience that it will be. Uh, you also did IMSPA for the month of May. So people, when they maybe heard you do that, they said, oh, Alan's back. And we're going to see him on TV doing his thing at SRX. What else have you been up to in the meantime, though? Because I know you have been calling games. You've been doing some different sports every now and then. And people can still hear you. It's just that they haven't really seen you in their specific racing bubble. Yeah, that's, uh, that's true. I do, um, I do UConn women's basketball, the 11-time national champions uh, in the winters, which is a, a real blast, a lot of fun, great program, uh, great crew, great uh, net, uh, network, SNY out of New York, uh, mm -hmm. known for, for their coverage of the New York Mets. And then uh, I do the U.S. Open tennis tournament every year for a couple of weeks uh, in New York City. Again, great blast, a lot of fun. Um, roll in now uh, my work at the Speedway in Indianapolis and, and SRX across the summer, and it's a it's a very full calendar. That's that's um, um, it's a nice pace. It's a nice variety, and and I enjoy it a lot. It's a lot of fun. I know I got to let you run here, so I'll end with this. Um, on a personal note, and a lot of fans, you know, I've told some people that I was having you on this week, and they wanted me to ask you. Uh, the NASCAR television contract, I'm sure you know, it ends after 2024. They're going to sign something soon. And everybody and anybody would love, 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 as would I, to see you back on television screens on a more weekly permanent basis in terms of talking about NASCAR every single week. And I know that you're open to that. You've said as much. I think I asked you in one of the first SRX media availabilities. Um, you're always ready. You're always polished. You're always prepared. Would you welcome an opportunity to be welcomed back into the NASCAR world on a semi-regular basis if the opportunity arose? Well, I've, I've never been unwelcomed in NASCAR. Um, you know, look, I, 
I haven't planned any of this to start with. So why start now? You know, it's um, thing, things come along and it's either the right opportunity at the right time or it's not. So mm-hmm. uh, would I, would I, would I welcome a discussion about it? Absolutely. But at the same time, I also understand, um, you know, look, the people that are doing those jobs now, I consider them friends and, um, and they're doing a good job. So mm-hmm. uh, more power to them and keep on going and, and, you know, see what happens down the road. Who knows? For now, uh, we're in the middle of a series that I'm, I'm, uh, I'm enjoying a lot. I'm thrilled to be with CBS and, uh, and SRX and, and, you know, this, uh, this should be a really fun summer. Forgive me for not knowing. Uh, has the U.S. Open happened yet? I'm not a huge nope. tennis guy. End of August and beginning End of, of September. August. Okay, so we'll be yep. listening to you, and I will be watching more tennis than I'm used to now. Uh, <laughs> looking forward to the U.S. Open, and whether you know it or not, seriously, o- over the years, just kind of absorbing what you do, it's left a big impact on me and kind of guided my path um, as I try to go into this business. So I thank you so much for the time today, Alan. It's been great getting to chat with you, and I hope I can do so soon. Keep chasing the dream. It happens. Will do, my friend. See you this weekend. All right. Thank you. And we're back. Hope you guys enjoyed that chat with Mr. Bestwick. Again, just a legend of the game. So, so kind, so nice, so generous, and so good at his job. It's it's awesome that the racing world has people like Alan in it and that they're generous with their time and their knowledge that they're willing to share it like that. So, Alan, if you're listening, from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much for your time. I really look forward to catching up with you soon. And best of luck this weekend at Knoxville and moving forward with the rest of the SRX schedule. And a big thank you as well to Walt Scherer at CBS for helping coordinate that conversation. Appreciate him and his efforts. Everybody over there at CBS and SRX. Let's talk about NASCAR now, though. They're returning to Nashville Super Speedway this upcoming weekend. Music City, baby. For the first time in 10 years, NASCAR is back. Cup Series has never raced at this track. Concrete. D-shaped oval. I think it's 1.33 miles. People say it's kind of similar to Kentucky. The length is similar to Darlington, but the abrasive surface, I guess maybe you could call it abrasive. It's concrete, similar to Dover, but the racing itself, the corners, they're uneven, similar to Kentucky, perhaps. I don't really know what to expect because it's obviously a new venue, but if I had to guess, I think it's still going to be the major players that are up front. Kyle Larson's the favorite to win for good reason. 750 track, Martin Truex Jr. is going to be up front, as always. I don't think Stuart Haas is going to have a good day. I think it's going to be a Hendrick and a Joe Gibbs party up front, maybe with some Team Penske sprinkled in there for good worth. But people do have experience at this track, albeit in the Xfinity or Truck Series, and albeit a decade ago or more, but Austin Dillon, he's won here. Kyle Busch has won here. You remember when he smashed Sam Bass's guitar to pieces? Yep, he's done that. Kevin Harvick has experience at this racetrack. So does Joey Logano, Brad Keselowski, probably a handful of other drivers that I'm missing just off the top of my head. So people have raced at this track. Chase Briscoe did a tire test. I believe Kurt Busch did once or twice in the last few months. So people have been on this track. There's simulation, obviously. You know, teams are able to manufacture what it's going to be like. But until you get that seat feel and the feeling in your butt, You're not going to know what it's really like to go around at speed in a cup car at the track. Thankfully, we got practice and qualifying this weekend because it is a new venue for the Cup Series. So excited to see that. And you can catch all the action Sunday, 3.30 p.m., the Ally 400 
at Nashville Super Speedway. Eric Moses, DC's own, the new track president over there. Maybe we'll have him on soon. That'd be fun to chat with him. Running things for his first weekend as a track president. Hopefully everything goes smoothly, and I'm excited to see the action. Look, nuts of the week! Cue that funky music, white boy. Luke Combs is returning to Daytona next season for the 2022 pre-race concert in February. Richmond Raceway has renamed their playoff race, the Federated Auto Parts 400 Salute to First Responders. Verizon is sponsoring the Cup Series race at Indianapolis Motor Speedway this summer. Palmero's Pizza is sponsoring Josh Balicki at Rick Ware Racing at Road America later this summer. Some sponsor announcements for this weekend. Pryor and Lee are with Corey LaJoy. Gravedigger is with Kevin Harvick. Did you guys see that paint scheme? Unbelievable. I got to get a die cast of that. Cole Custer is going to have Tony's Tea at Dixie Vodka with him in the 41 at Stuart Haas Racing. You see Landon Castle. He's getting paid exclusively in cryptocurrency for the rest of the 2021 season at JD Motorsports. That's pretty impressive by Voyager as they hopped on to sponsor the, the JD Motorsports driver. He's been switching with the 6 and the 4 for the rest of the season. GMS Racing recently announced their plans to compete in the Cup Series for 2022. No immediate details were given, but another team moving up. Andy Lau is going to be driving for BJ McLeod Motorsports at Road America. Austin Hill is going to run six Xfinity races for Hattori Racing Enterprises. Jordan Anderson Racing and Indigo, which is an IHG partner. They have joined forces for Nashville. Justin Allgaier is sporting a Dollar General paint scheme for the same race weekend upcoming. Barger Precast is sponsoring AJ Allmendinger for Nashville and Bristol at College Racing. Joey Gase is going to run the Xfinity event next weekend at Pocono for Jimmy Means. Kicking the Tires and Brandon Davis Music are sponsoring Brandon Brown at Nashville this weekend. So I guess those creative advertisements worked. Truck Series crew member Matthew Mormond. He's been suspended indefinitely for violating NASCAR's substance abuse policy. Taylor Moyer was fined five grand for a loose lug nut on Josh Berry's number eight Chevrolet after Texas. Thorough Good has jumped on board with Derek Krauss for Nashville. Sim Seats has done the same with Young's Motorsports. And Chaos and Kindness are going to be on Sheldon Creed's truck at Pocono with Fast Checkout adorning Parker Kligerman's 75 truck this weekend at Nashville. That'll wrap things up for episode 112 of Victory Lane 2.0. Bit of a shorter one because we had a shorter interview, but if you guys like the shorter things, you like shorter commitments, I know you know people's time is valuable these days, let me know and I'll try to cut everything down a little bit and my dad will not have an eight-minute diatribe on his boy Bobby Allison every week, but it's Father's Day. I let him have it. Thank you so much to Alan Bestwick for hopping on. Thank you to Dad for that wonderful history lesson. Thank you to Robin for giving your thoughts on the All-Star Race, as I can't see her because the door's closed, but I'm sure she's smiling at this point. And thank you for listening to Victory Lane. As always, it really does help me out if you leave a five-star rating and review on iTunes. We're also available on Spotify, Google, SoundCloud. Usually, wherever you get your podcasts, we should be there for you to consume it. And if we're not, drop me a line, and I'll try to rectify that issue for you. I love your guys' comments on social media. I read all of them. I try to respond to most of them, if not all, if I can. Seriously brightens my day because sometimes I feel like I'm talking to a wall as I'm literally talking to a wall. I just knocked on it. Um, So please, keep sending those. Give me the ego boost that I need to keep this thing going. 
Until next time, stay safe, get outside, get vaccinated if you haven't already. Enjoy the racing from Nashville, and we'll be back next week to talk about all the stuff that we missed. Catch you then.